Everybody say, so be it. You know, as we get ready to, to talk about, I want to talk about waiting and praying. And, you know, a lot of times the waiting season can be very lonely in our lives. The waiting season as we're waiting for God to move and God to answer our prayers, uh, it can be there. But, you know, we understand that. We just can't think God will answer it immediately because the waiting season is difficult in all our lives in every aspect of our life. Amen? And uh, this past Friday... Uh, I had one of those moments in my life where I was just waiting. And in that moment of waiting, I was, I was super alone. There, it, was, it was just me, and my prayer life really amped up a little bit. But I had <coughs> just concluded a funeral. Uh, we had gone to the graveside. It was extremely cold out, so I had my jacket on. I had a great big, long, heavy coat that went down to my knees. I was buttoned up. I forgot my gloves. And so it was on top of a hill. The, the weather was blowing. And, and so we're doing the graveside. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's sort of, I mean, it's a very reverential moment. And so usually, typically, what I do is I'll open up, I'll read a scripture, and then I'll pray. And I was reading out of Psalm 126. I remember it. And I started reading. And uh, as I was reading, all of a sudden, I felt this, this thing pop right here. It just popped. And, and at that moment when I felt a pop and I didn't know what was going on, all of a sudden I felt my pants starting to shift. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm in this moment and, and, and I'm like, I just said, forget the scripture. I said, everybody bow their heads now in Jesus' name. Or bow their heads, let's pray. And, uh, and so when I felt that pop and I felt my pants just do that little bit of shift, I shifted my hip and... And so I'm sort of standing like this because, and I didn't know what was going on. And so I, I say, in Jesus' name, amen. And so as I'm holding the Bible, you got to realize I got this Bible. And then afterwards, what you do is you sort of walk down and everybody's sitting. So you're walking down, shaking hands, saying, I know, I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you for the out. And, and so I'm, I'm going, you got to imagine this. I'm, I'm, I'm alone in this moment. There's nobody can help me. And, and I don't know what went on right there. And, um, and so I can't grab my britches and hold them because I got two jackets on. And so I'm sort of walking down, shaking hands, you know, saying there, trying to hold the Bible, keep my pants up. And I get to the end of the line, and, and Jack, who, who was there, he, he worked for my dad in the 60s when my dad owned funeral homes. And he's like, he's like Vic, what, ha what is going on? I said, I don't know. I said, I said, I don't know. I said, my pants just, he goes, well, thank God that your britches didn't fall here. I said, I know. <laughs> and he says, he says, what do you want to do? And I said, let's get to the car right now. And so I'm sitting in the car and finally I get my, my, my jacket unbuttoned and, and I look down and, and all of a sudden my belt, I wondered what was hitting my leg, but my belt, because it was a dress belt, was slick and it was sitting there beating my leg. Well, I'm sitting there, and I mean, it was in that moment, and, and I, Jack says, what happened? And I said, man, my belt broke. And, and he's like, what? And I was like, man, thank God it didn't happen during the funeral part of it, because I'd have been in really bad shape. But, but, you know, in that moment, that season felt very lonely. Amen. And so anyway, we got it resolved, and I called Trish, and she goes, I can't believe you tell anybody. And I said, why not? I said, I can't believe it happened. And... and um, but when sometimes, sometimes, sometimes when you're waiting for God to work, 
for a so be it miracle in your life, it can feel very, very lonely. Especially when everybody else around you is getting their miracles. When you're believing for your so be it miracle, and everybody else is getting their answers to prayers, and they're rejoicing, and they're celebrating, and you're just waiting, it can be very, very lonely. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, God makes us a promise. He makes a promise to Joshua, and we see this several times throughout Scripture where he makes a promise to different people. He says, he says I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that's a promise. See, you're never alone. If you are a born-again Christian, the Bible says that Jesus says, when I go, I will send you another friend, a, a comforter, an advocate, uh, a shepherd, a guide, whatever it is that you need in your life, your security blanket. I will send you and he will reside in you and he will ensure that. And, and sometimes what happens in our life is, is we for, forget those promises in our life. And that promise is for you today, even in the alone season of your life. Everybody say, so be it. That you've got to learn to agree with the simple promises of God that, that I am not alone. Even though I feel like I'm alone, even though there's not tangible human skin around me, I am not alone. That I've given my heart to Christ and the Holy Spirit was sent to me by Jesus to help me ensure that I wasn't alone in my life. And, and I was talking to Gary Molnix who comes to church, and on Wednesday night, he was here at the night of worship, and at the, at the end of worship, I'd come over, and he was just sitting in there, and, and Gary had his oxygen all hooked up and different things, and a couple, in the last couple of weeks, he's been in the hospital and, uh, with, with a severe case of, of COVID pneumonia and different things like that, and he was telling me as he was in university hospital, and we were talking about never being alone, and and, and he goes, Vic, he says, that first night in the hospital, he says, at university, he says, my, my room got dark. And he said, I was all alone. They had checked it at me out, and I was sitting there, and, and they, they, I mean, it was a severe case. He said, then all of a sudden, he said, I looked at the floor, and this, and this blackness came over to the floor, and it started rising up. And the best way I can describe it is like a, a volcano or, or a, a cloud or, or a mushroom cloud from a nuclear explosion. And he said it was a dark cloud. And he said immediately I recognized what it was. And I said, spirit of death, you are rebuked. Get out of here. You're not allowed to be here. And he said in that moment, he said in that moment that, that, that darkness dissipated. And he said, but I said through that whole time, Vic, he said I was never alone. And I start talking to people who are in that situation and those who have an intimate, real, authentic relationship with Christ. They're never alone. And I got to thinking about, have we taken advantage of the opportunities that this church has given for us to not be alone? You know, like parking lot church. Parking lot church, especially at 9 o'clock, they're like their whole little small group. They've developed an incredible connection and relationship. And then I think about that we do online church. But, you know, you can watch online church, but, but if you're not engaging online church, then you're going to feel alone. 
You're going to feel disconnected. You're not going to feel like you belong. And you're going to feel that way. And the, the enemy will begin to creep in like that. Or the social distancing section. That, that you're still not comfortable with being around people. But you want to be around people. So there's a, a little bit of space. And we believe all these are, are God ideas. Because we're not meant to do life alone. And then you go to Psalm 23 verse 4. And David is in a dark place in his life. And he says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, man, this just wasn't a, <coughs> a valley, but this was the darkest valley he had been in in his life. You know, that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that God is the God of the mountain, but he's also the God of the valley. Amen? Amen. And look what David said. He, he instituted this promise. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, the most difficult time of my life, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. And he's talking to God. He's like, man, God, even in my worst possible situation. That's why David was, was known as a man after God's own heart. And I want you to agree that, that God is holding your hand. Even when you're, you're waiting on him and you're waiting for that answer, that, that, that God is there. He's not going to leave you alone while you wait. And God is going to stand with you while you wait. That's why John 14 and 16, they says, I'm going to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to talk about the, your best friend a little bit more next week. But naturally, we may be separated from people during this season in our life. But the great news is to know that God desires to be with you is a miracle of itself. Everybody say, so be it. So be it that God wants to be with me. In fact, God wants to be with me so much that if I ask his son into my heart, then he sends the third person of the Trinity to come live with me. And all I'm saying is today you've got to learn to come into full agreement with God. And then you decide to become unified with God. And wherever you go, God goes because the Holy Spirit's inside you. Wherever you go, even through the darkest valley. How are you one with God? You agree with his word. You obey the Lord. You don't allow negative thoughts to cause you to pull away from God. And during the worst seasons of your life, man, you need to press in and draw closer to God than you've ever been before. And the best relationship that you could ever have in your life is a true relationship with the Father. See, so be it prayer declarations is about learning the praise for ways of escape. Because we know the waiting season can be troublesome. We know the waiting season can be challenging in our lives and really cause us to press into God for His strength and His safety and His deliverance and His freedom and His encouragement. And sometimes we face a stormy season Let's be real. Sometimes the stormy seasons in our life are so stormy that we just want a way out. We just want out. It may be to take our own life. It may be to cut. It may be take something that's legal illegally. And there are times when we just pray, God, bring us out of our troubles. And I'll be honest with you, I'd rather pray those prayers when I'm in a time of trouble that I didn't cause myself. Amen? Because sometimes when we cause problems ourselves, we don't, we don't think we're worthy. And like Ali said, we don't think we're, we're worthy to pray and ask God because we've messed up. 
And so we see this situation. We see Daniel who was thrown into the lion's den. And it wasn't his fault. He was there because the people around him could not accept the fact that he wanted to worship the true and living God. And let me tell you, if we ever need to be bold for the cause of Christ, we need to be bold. If you look at that wall, and I sit down and I talk to a lot of people, they're just like, Man, I just want to be bolder for Christ. I want to be bolder for Christ. Well, you know what? you got to be bolder for Christ. Amen? You've got to be bolder for Christ than you've ever been. And, and so these people who didn't want miracles to take place and didn't want the supernatural to take place and didn't want Daniel, they said, man, we're going to deceive the king and we're going to get him to pass a decree that anybody who prays to anybody but the king is going to be thrown in the lion's den. And so Daniel didn't bring the, the problem upon himself, but people did. And he was doing the right thing. And then you look in Daniel chapter 3 and you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Daniel's three Hebrew friends. And they also went through a level of punishment because they chose to follow God's perfect will versus what culture and what society and what the world says. And these are two examples of how you can end up in situations that are not your fault because you made a choice to step out and follow God's perfect will. And yet, I want you to realize you may have to go through temporary hardship as a result of gain, obeying God's perfect will for your life. You may have to go through hardship. So always praying away out of a bad situation is certainly understandable, but notice that these men could not circumvent their waiting season. Daniel had to endure the lion's den. The three Hebrew boys had to endure the fiery furnace, all because they were waiting on God to move on their so be it prayer. Everybody say, so be it. These men prayed for escape. These men prayed for escape after doing what God told them to do. And that's not always the way it is that it goes for us. And I don't know if you're like me, but a lot of times I've found that myself asking God and demanding God to get me out of the mess that I made myself. Come on, say amen. So I'm not alone, I know. And if that happens to you, let me tell you, don't feel like life is over. You can still pray. You can still ask God for the evidence to pull you out. And the fact that he still loves you. And the fact that you have something greater in store for you that God has for your life. That you didn't create the un and do the unpardonable sin. And you didn't go too far. But God still wants to use you that you can still cry out him. If we're faithful and just to confess our sins, then he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everybody say, so be it. So some storms in 2021... Yes, they're caused by others. But sometimes the storms that we encounter in 2021, it's caused by us, but we want to blame it on others. And it's our disobedience that has forced us into that fiery furnace. It's our disobedience that has made this self-made lion den in our life. And you're put there... You're put there because you put yourself there by the choices that you make, but it's not the end of things. And you need to learn to pray for a way of escape that God can get you out of the permissible will and you can begin to enter God's perfect will. So how do I pray? The question that we want to answer today is how do I pray in the season of waiting in the lion's den or the fiery furnace? Don't give up. Don't give in to wrong decisions. Don't start doing your own thing trying to fix things. Because sometimes the waiting place 
the fiery furnace, the lion's den, is preparing you for future blessings. It's a blessing that God loves you so much that we've been reading in the one-year Bible in the book of Psalms all week that God hears our prayers. And ultimately, he will rescue us from all our problems. Everybody say, so be it. I wrote this down. And, and it's looking at Jacob's life, Joseph's life, everybody's life. And I wrote this down. It says, we can better use our prayer time focusing on the next season of blessing. Listen to me. Rather than pleading for a way of escape from the problems we created ourselves. It's forward thinking. It's saying, God, I, I, I understand I've got to reap what I sow. But Lord, I, I don't want to keep sowing bad seed and reaping a bad harvest, but I'm going to begin to focus on the generational blessings that you have in my life. See, in the waiting season, you have to commit yourself to do His will. You have to develop a habit of trusting God to pull you out of your mistakes because you're always going to make mistakes. Amen? Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. We died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? You've got to learn and you're, you're understand that as you begin to pray, God will open up doors of escape for you, but you may have to go through a waiting season. You may have to go through a situation, but it's, it's obedience to God that opens the door of blessing in your life. It's obedience to God that opens up the door of blessing in your life. It's those things that God says that we are to do in our life and if we don't do it, then we're going to repeat the cycle. We're going to go back into the lion's den. We're going to go back into the fiery furnace. God will rescue us. And we'll go through the situation again till we break the cyclical pattern of obedience. Everybody say, so be it. So your so be it prayer is the key here is you've got to learn not to command God. God is all-powerful. God is shepherd. God is creator. God is ruler over heaven and earth. God is in charge. And even though in Genesis chapter 2, God gave us dominion over the, the earth and said to rule, have, and authority, some of us get in a mindset when we are in a crisis or we are going through a situation that we don't like that, that, that we make the mistake of praying and, and making demands on God as if he's a genie in a bottle. Instead of saying, God, hey... And we need to be like Job, not the first part of Job, but the second part of Job. And in Job 38, verses 42, Job, at this point, he had lost all his children. They, they had been killed. He had lost all his, his thing. All he was left with, if you study the Bible, was a nagging wife. And, and he starts going off on God. Now, God can handle it, but we don't have to go off on God if we'll learn this. And so finally, God gets frustrated after four chapters of listening to Joe go off on him. And then he says this in 38.2. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge? And right before, and he starts going off to God, says, Job, where were you? When I put the foundations of the earth. Where were you when I established the storehouses? In fact, Job, where are the storehouses of snow that are in heaven that comes on? Job, where were you? And why does a fawn or a doe give birth to a fawn? How does that happen, Job? And he goes through all that stuff. And of course, Job didn't know the answers because he was not God. And that was God's point. That we are not God. And sometimes it's in the waiting that we realize that we're, we're not God. 
And when God explained who he was and why he was God and Job was not, I love it because all Job could do was repent. But look at the verse right here, verse 2, Job 40, verse 2. You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Isn't it amazing? We can complain to God, but we have no solutions for God. And then when you see a transition in this waiting period, verse 3, then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I've said too much already. And I love this part. I have nothing more to say. Job repented. Complain, complain, complain. Okay, God, you're God, I'm not. I'm just going to trust you and be quiet. And the Bible says as soon as he repented, repented means do a 180, go the exact opposite direction. Then the Lord answered Job, verse 6, from the whirlwind. Then God answered Job from the worst situation in his life. I guess as a person, I thought, maybe I just need to learn from Job about second-guessing God. Because most of us have probably questioned God in our life of why. And what we need to do is just say, praying, God, you're the boss. And we need to do a prayer evaluation of our prayers. And as we have communion Sunday this Sunday, or excuse me, communion Wednesday this Wednesday at our night of worship. Maybe we just need to say, God, do my prayers reflect a right understanding of who you are? Or do I need to go back and remember that? Because I've allowed crisis and chaos to confuse me. God is flawless. God is perfect in all his ways. And the easiest way that I can say this and illustrate it is if you that have a job, do you tell your boss what he's going to do and what he's not going to do? Because you'd be fired, amen? amen? Yeah, you don't tell him that because he's the boss. Well, we've got to realize that God is the boss and the way that we interact, just like you have, to, you have to believe or interact with your bosses making the right decisions for the company, even though you don't understand everything, even though you don't have the big picture or all the answers, you trust that he's going to do the best that he can. Well, how much more if we do that for a human, should we do it for God Almighty? And so I want to close with this. We've got to learn to approach God in reverence and humility and understanding who he is and the, and the power he possesses. Proverbs 3, verse 34 says he gives graciousness to the humble. Graciousness to the humble. I want to encourage you as you come to prayer this week, especially Family Sunday as parents or Family Monday prayer is when you get that personal prayer time, just sometimes what I have to do to realize that God is God, I have to just kneel. I have to get down and just say, God, man, you're God. And sometimes when I'm here at prayer, man, I lay all the way down with my forehead touching the ground, which means proscunio in the Hebrew, which means I'm totally submitted. I'm at my most vulnerable state before God. Why? Why? Because he's gracious to the humble. 
and I put myself naturally at the lowest state I can to remember and reflect the greatness of God. We took an Enneagram class this week as a staff to better learn each other and ourselves. And it was interesting because they said one of the things that you need to do is you need to, if you start journaling, is write five things you're thankful for every day. That's a good way to start journaling. And I thought, man, when we come to God, we just need to thank him for everything that he's done. Thank you, God. I mean, I did. I was like, thank you, God, that I could bring comfort to a family on Friday. Which is simple words that I spoke. God, thank you that I got to go out last night and hang out with my family and just eat dinner. Thank you because somebody blessed us and we were able just to go out and it worked out where we just had an incredible night of just hanging out for about an hour and a half. And ask God to forgive us of our sins. Lord, forgive me where I fell short, where I didn't trust you. Forgive me where I acted in contempt to you. And then lastly, Lord, here's my needs and my wants and my desires. And you know me better than I know myself, so grant what you need to grant. And then I just humbly wait for an answer from God. James 4, 6, God gives generous grace to the humble. Every head bowed, every eye closed. See, when we pray, we're humbly asking him for help. And when we pray, we can be in the perfect position to serve him, to please him. And I believe one of the greatest prayers that we can pray is the humble prayer of saying, you know, Lord, I once, I'm lost and I want to be found. Lord, I once saw, I once experienced you, but something happened and I've walked away and the scales have come back up on my eyes and I don't see you the way that I used to see you. Lord, you know what? If I really get raw and real, I'm a sinner and need a savior. And if that's you right now, that could be your withered hand that you're lost, that you don't know Jesus. And if you want to know Christ, every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand right now. If you want to renew your relationship with Christ, you stretch out that withered hand and God will restore it. He'll restore your heart. He'll restore your purpose, your destiny. And everybody just pray a simple prayer like this with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe and receive you into my life. Thank you for giving me a brand new start. In Jesus' name, amen. Give those people a great big hand clap. And